It's Wednesday, February 16th. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. A U.S. District Court judge has heard testimony and is expected to soon rule on the challenge to Baltimore County's redistricting map. State Democratic lawmakers are pushing an emergency bill to address errors on absentee ballots. But Republicans are crying foul. A package of climate solution bills and the push to legalize recreational cannabis are also working their way through the legislature. And the CDC says pregnant people who get vaccinated for COVID pass on immunity to their babies. It's The Daily Dose from WYPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Maryland's COVID-19 numbers continue to improve. State health officials today reported 677 hospitalizations, which is down more than 80 percent from last month's peak. The COVID positivity rate is also down to 3.5 percent. Fewer than 450 cases of the virus were added in the last 24 hours. The state health department also updated data on COVID reinfections today. Since last September, there have been 24,800 recorded reinfections. An emergency bill that would alter the state's approach to fixing absentee ballots with errors passed through the Senate 33-14 to 14 Tuesday, but not before facing scrutiny from Republicans. WYPR's Callan Tanzel Suddeth has more. Before the vote, Montgomery County Democrat Senator Cheryl Kagan, the bill's lead sponsor, said its goal is to streamline the curing process. If the ballot oath has not been signed, that ballot would not be counted. So we offer the local boards of elections the opportunity to connect with voters and have them cure their ballots so that it can be counted. But Republican Senator Stephen Hershey said since Maryland doesn't conduct signature verifications on absentee ballots, this bill opens elections up to voter fraud. By taking a ballot that simply requires a signature that is not checked, over an actual person voting, I don't think that's the way that this body should be going forward with making election law changes. If the bill passes through the House, it will go into effect immediately. Callan Tansel Suddeth, WYPR News. A U.S. District Court judge says she will rule swiftly after hearing more than three hours of testimony Tuesday in the legal challenge to Baltimore County's council redistricting map. WYPR's John Lee reports, at issue is whether the court will force the county to create a second black majority district. The seven-member council currently has one majority black district. The NAACP and others sued, saying there should be a second since the county's population is nearly 30 percent black. The county argued in court that blacks can win races in the county with white support. Former county NAACP president Tony Fugit, a plaintiff in the case, says the evidence says otherwise. There were elections that were held where there was polarization of white and black votes and that blacks basically lost in in elections. The NAACP's lawyer proposed giving the county 10 days to redraw the map. District Judge Lydia K. Grigsby says she plans to rule in the next several days after reviewing the evidence. John Lee, WIPR News. A severe shortage of qualified morgue technicians has forced the Maryland Department of Health to turn a downtown parking garage into a makeshift morgue. More than 200 bodies are awaiting autopsies in Baltimore. Deputy Health Secretary Dr. Jin Lin Chan blames the backlog in part to a rise in murders and drug overdoses in the city. 
Baltimore's police commissioner says the department is making progress on the growing crime rate. Michael Harrison says so far, Baltimore's homicide clearance rate is over 44 percent, which is better than last year's rate. He says police have made more than 500 arrests so far this year, including 11 for homicide. Harrison said in order for police to continue to crack down on crime in the city, everyone needs to do their part. Mayor Brandon Scott and his Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement have announced the recipients of more than $17 million in American Rescue Plan Act funding to improve public safety. The funding will support the Group Violence Reduction Strategy and the expansion of community violence intervention programming. At a Senate committee hearing Wednesday, it appeared there was enthusiastic support for reducing Maryland's carbon footprint. But some weren't so sure the climate solutions bill before them was the way to go. WYPR's Joel McCord explains. Michael Powell, a lawyer for a building trades group, told the Senate's Environment Committee everyone supports climate change legislation. But he said some of the provisions of the bill, for example, retrofitting some buildings to be all electric, were just unworkable. And it doesn't take an architect to think that if you have a, a 15 or 20-story building and it's heated by a boiler in the basement and radiators and hot water, that converting all of that to electricity for heating is going to be difficult. Charles Washington, a lobbyist for BGE, said his company supports decarbonization and has announced its own plans to cut its emissions by 50 percent by 2030. But no other state in the country, he said, has adopted a building code that requires such a quick transition from natural gas to electricity. In the states and smaller jurisdictions that are considering decarbonization policies better account for the challenges the feasibility, and the range of options and economic impacts inherent in such a transformational shift. This bill goes too far too fast. The far-reaching bill sets a long-term goal of making Maryland carbon neutral by 2045 and an interim goal of a 60% reduction in greenhouse gases by 2030. It requires new buildings to be all-electric and the state to begin converting to an all-electric vehicle fleet in 2024. Mark Case, a BGE vice president, agreed the company supports reducing carbon emissions, but he argued the cost of producing the electricity required by it would fall on the company's customers. Modeling of the BGE territory shows that residential gas customers can expect to pay on average $10,000 more per household for equipment retrofits and increased heating bills. In aggregate, the projected price tag for our residential and commercial customers is about $2.8 billion. Senator Paul Pinsky, lead sponsor of the bill, said a California consulting firm with no stake in the energy industry that Maryland hired said the costs would be much lower. But what a shock, the model that BGE has created has the numbers thousands and thousands of dollars. So I'm trying to understand why we should trust you your modeling or your position when you have a financial interest in keeping the status quo. Mike Tidwell of Chesapeake Climate Action Network predicted the opponent's claims at a rally on Lawyers Mall before the hearing started. They'll say they can't do it. It's too expensive, he said. 
But in the reality is we, we the advocates and the legislators for climate legislation have been right for 20 years. The price of wind and solar goes down, the jobs go up, the economy gets better. So today when you hear the gas industry and others saying we can't do it, the reality is we can do it. Kim Coble, executive director of the Maryland League of Conservation Voters, said she understands there are costs to implementing the bill, but there are costs to inaction as well. There's impacts to the economy because businesses have to close down when storms occur. Uh, there's damage to property. Uh, there's impact to homeowners because of lost job time and it goes on and on. Robin Lewis of Interfaith Power and Light said the bill is important to make sure the health of people in underserved communities is protected. Because it's unfair to impose these toxins on those communities, especially communities where there's infrastructure that is being built in their community without regard to the health and safety of those people that live there. Pinsky said he was open to some amendments. The House has three climate bills that are due for hearings in the next two weeks. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News. The push to legalize recreational marijuana in the state has begun in earnest this legislative session. Earlier this week, supporters and opponents made their voices heard in Annapolis. Joel McCord will also have that story later in the show. The CDC has long recommended that pregnant people get the COVID-19 vaccine. In fact, pregnancy increases risk of getting severely ill from COVID, so it's especially important to get vaccinated. So far, however, data on vaccines during pregnancy has focused mostly on the immunity of the pregnant person. That changed Tuesday when the CDC released a study with data that confirms a pregnant person who gets a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine passes on immunity to the baby. Dr. Dana Meany-Delman is the Chief of Infant Outcomes Monitoring Research and Prevention Branch. She and other officials broke the news with reporters yesterday. And while we know that these antibodies cross the placenta, until this study, we have not yet had data to demonstrate whether these antibodies might provide protection for the baby against COVID-19. The data CDC is publishing today provides real-world evidence that getting a COVID-19 vaccine during pregnancy might help protect infants less than six months of age from hospitalization due to COVID-19. The study found that babies born to mothers who got vaccinated are 61 percent less likely to be hospitalized with COVID. On the other hand, the study shows that 84 percent of babies who were hospitalized with COVID were born to unvaccinated mothers. Today's news is highly welcome particularly in the backdrop of the recent increase in hospitalizations among very young children. This has been the highest of the entire pandemic. Unfortunately, vaccination of infants younger than six months old is not currently on the horizon, highlighting why vaccination during pregnancy is so important for these young infants. The study also shows that the immunity level in the baby is higher when a pregnant person gets the vaccine later during pregnancy. But Dr. Amini Delman said this does not mean pregnant people should delay getting vaccinated by any means. Putting it off could have very serious consequences. 
on our CDC data tracker, you can see that we had the highest number of deaths uh, among pregnant people in August and September uh, of uh, 2021. So very recently, we had pregnant people in the ICU, very, very sick. Um, we have yet to see what will happen with uh, Omicron and the reduction in cases. But right now, we are not changing our recommendation, given that um, it's really critically important um, that pregnant people are protected. And Dr. Mini Dalman added that it is advisable to get a COVID vaccine as early in pregnancy as possible and then a booster shot. But it's not yet clear how much boosters increase immunity for the child. She added that the purpose of the study was to show the effect of vaccines during pregnancy on the child. So this study doesn't include people who got vaccinated before getting pregnant. Bottom line is, just get your shot. Get boosted if you haven't. It protects you and your loved ones. You can find the entire study under news on cdc.gov. The legislative drive to legalize recreational cannabis in Maryland this session began yesterday in a House of Delegates committee. Supporters of two House bills argued they would help right past wrongs. And opponents warned that would only lead to more trouble. WYPR's Joel McCord reports. The first bill is a simple state constitutional amendment that would legalize recreational cannabis for anyone over 21. It would have to be approved by three-fifths votes in the House and Senate and at a referendum in November. The second is a sweeping bill that lays out requirements for studies and creates a cannabis business assistance fund to help small minority and women-owned businesses. Delegate Luke Klippinger, the bill's sponsor, said it provides the first step to building a licensing structure to encourage minority-owned businesses. We need to learn from our mistakes of the past because we cannot repeat the debacles that took place during the rollout of Maryland's medical cannabis licenses. He said he couldn't guarantee a perfect policy, but that lawmakers would pass legislation that he hopes will deliver comprehensive and effective results for all Marylanders. Other states have experienced obstacles in their policy and implementation process for their cannabis programs. This legislation responds to those missteps to ensure that we get our program right to the best of our ability. Supporters pointed out that 18 states, including Virginia, and the District of Columbia already have legalized recreational cannabis. Sylvia Quinton of the Maryland Prevention Works Coalition called the public health fund in the bill a balanced and equitable response to mass incarceration. But she said she wanted more. Let the great state of Maryland lead by example and by including a clear prevention statement in the legislation. Prevention is restorative justice. Dr. David Gorelick, a psychiatrist who has done extensive research in substance abuse, said he supports the legislation, but he called for tighter public regulations than are in the bill. I think there are likely to be harmful unintended consequences from cannabis legalization. Uh, these can include increased cannabis use by minors, increased rates of cannabis use disorder and related medical and psychiatric conditions. Olivia Noggle of the Marijuana Policy Project said she supported the legalization effort, but she worried the gap between the time a referendum might be approved, November of this year, and the time the bill would go into effect, July of next year, 
could lead to problems. Um, this delay would mean thousands of Marylanders, uh, disproportionately black Marylanders, would continue to be subjected to uh, police interactions and citations for cannabis uh, for eight months after voters adopt legalization. Davon Love of Leaders of a Beautiful Struggle said the bill should be scrapped because it does not eliminate criminal penalties for possession with intent to distribute large amounts of cannabis. That has to change, he said. Or else it'll be used in the way that law enforcement has always used um, these kinds of charges against black people in the name of public safety with an ineffective strategy in terms of dealing with it. Luke Niferatis, the executive vice president of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, or SAM, a Northern Virginia-based group, told lawmakers that the idea that legalizing and regulating marijuana would solve law enforcement problems was false. He said in his home state of Colorado, the first to legalize recreational marijuana, more than 50% of the sales are on the black market. We have new cartels that have moved in that are buying suburban homes, gutting them and turning them into grow houses. Uh, Law enforcement has never had to spend more money on the marijuana problem than they have since they legalized it. The House bills are likely to be heavily amended before they get out of committee. Meanwhile, the Senate bill, a more expansive state constitutional amendment, is scheduled for a hearing in March. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News. always happy to hear from you and we'll be here for you again on Friday. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WYPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Big thanks to my colleagues on the WYPR news team, Rachel Bay, John Lee, Joel McCord, Emily Sullivan, and Callan Hansel Suddeth. Our digital content director is Jamila Crumple and our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. Stay healthy, stay sane, and stand together. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. Thanks for listening.